Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the crazy love quadrangle to my telenovela, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How are you, sir? I'm good. Hello, hello. I will be using this voice a lot this episode. I, I have a feeling you will. I have a feeling you will. I would like to thank my mother for giving it to me, with a lifetime of listening to her accent like this. Although a lot of it, a lot more of it, was yelling. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have to dodge a shoe? Isn't that the stereotype? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Many a shoe were flung in my general direction. Nice. Caught a backhand and a Nordstrom's once. It was a different time. I, on the other hand, will seek to avoid that white person trope of uh, uh, screwing up uh, non-English names and stuff. So I'm going to try I will try hard. and help you best I can. Yes, call me on that if I screw it up. I, um, I, I do not want to do that. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a different language, not one that you were growing up with. So it's okay. It's okay. It also uses different sounds that you are not used to. Still, I can I can make an attempt. I'm not going to use that excuse. I'm going to try. That's all I'm going to say. Not going to be not going to be lazy white guy not trying. As always, we want to start the show with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, and in today's episode, you're helping the romance bloom. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that, but thank you nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Robert, is it National Romance Day? Because it was just Valentine's Day not too long ago. It's a pity that this we didn't get this for Valentine's Day. That would have been appropriate. That would have been appropriate. No, today is uh, National Pack Your Lunch Day. Basically, it's more environmentally friendly. You know, you don't spend money buying out of work. It's cost effective. Put it in a Tupperware, something reusable. Pack a lunch to school, a friend's house, work, whatever. Use the hashtag Pack Your Lunch Day on social media. There you go. I did not realize that packing my lunch day was a thing. It is. It is. It is today. The more you know. <laughs> na, 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 na. And question, Jonathan, and question to our listeners. So after uh, our talk last episode about uh, Austin Powers and the influence that uh, Bond 5 and 6, for that matter, and possibly 7, had on it, I was thinking, should we add Austin Powers into this mix and make this yes. a 27-part especially, series? Especially with this episode's movie. Because, oh my god, I'd forgotten about the German lady. <laughs> There's been a lot of ger- severe-looking women with accents i've noticed well there was one i mean let's no face as well. it there, there was a lot of hatred towards germany at that point yeah well i think the lady in dr no was russian or was that no 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 that was from russia with love there was another one that looked very similar you know short <laughs> hair kind of short <laughs> it's almost like they're playing a stereotype up no yeah oh i know right well, then uh, I will alter our No Time to Bond to make it a 27-part series, and you can expect Austin Powers to be sandwiched between Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, we're doing it in order, huh? Yeah, in chronological order, because that's where it comes in, so that's when we should do it. Are we going to do the whole trilogy or just the first one? I think just the first one. The, the two and three, while amusing, they're not really spy parodies. They're kind of just comedy. <laughs> I will use air quotes liberally with that. I mean, Goldmember kind of has gold goldfinger references but not not a huge because he didn't have a roller disco or anything you know are we sure about that though Oric looked like he could party uh still i don't think we need to do the other ones they're not 
I, although, you know what? Uh, for references to Spectre, we might need to do the third one because there's a lot of blowback on Spectre because of Austin Powers 3. So we will see. We will see. I'll, I'll mull it over. But we'll definitely do the first one between Tomorrow Never Dies and Goldfinger or Goldeneye. With no further ado, let's go ahead and hop into our first segment. That is, of course, Off the Shelf. This is our segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, into our hearts, and now into your ears. Or maybe into your body, like like scary coronavirus. Because, yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Just to, to put it in perspective, uh, the Lake Oswago School District, that's in Portland, not anywhere remotely near me. But apparently that person lived here in Hillsborough, but Hillsborough is quite large. So, yeah, good times. Good times. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Apparently there's a bunch of coronavirus folks down in uh, San Antonio in... Quarantine, yeah, yeah. Quarantine, yeah. So... Hopefully that doesn't get out. Hopefully it's not like that scene in Outbreak where the camera travels to the air vent and they realize, oh, it's airborne. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Positive podcast. Don't want to don't want to break fears. By the way, please do not post things on social media about this virus that uh, you haven't vetted because there's a lot of bad info out there. I'm seeing it yes, a lot. Yes, there is. Yeah. Unless, of course, you happen to be a CDC doctor, in which case, call us. I'd love to chat with you. Right, right, right. But here's the thing. If you're going to post something on social media, it is your, you, responsibility to make sure it's accurate because somebody's got it. Yep. And I don't want to be that guy to call you out on it, but I've, I've, I've almost done it a couple times and I'm like, wait, I'm not trying to post things on social media like that anymore because positive podcast, positive everything, calling people out for posting stupid is not something I feel like doing anymore. But gosh, it's getting hard. I'll second that, buddy. I'll second that. All right, all right. Board games, board games, board games. Oh, you want to start with board games today? Well, uh, sorry, sorry. Off the shelf. Off the, uh, no, let's not start with board games. That's how we tie the segment up in a bow. All right. Well, then how about we go to reading? Because I have, I have to apologize to you. Uh-huh. I was going to read Cersei next. And then, uh, unfortunately, my phone buzzed and told me that book nine of Expeditionary Force had dropped. And I'm a little bit of an addict, I found out, because I instantly bought it and started reading it. Well, that's fine. You're reading that. You're supposed to finish that up and then read Cersei. So you have not broken your word yet. True, true. So uh, I did finish up Leviathan Wakes. And I think last episode I talked about, because I'd started watching Expanse on TV again, uh, how closely it followed at first. Yeah, that was just at first. I'd forgotten what a harsh left-hand veer the show does, which is not to say the show isn't brilliant, because it is. And it's definitely taking place in that world. It's just doing things that that make a tv show good not necessarily doing what the book did yeah you know what i like about it is i've i've heard interviews with the authors where they talk about that and they're like way okay with it you know because they realize it's two different things and and part of it is just the people they cast you know just don't fit the characters great but they're like but the cast is great so like them kind of going different directions with the characters doesn't make them mad because it's like the cast is good like we're not going to be all pissy that you know certain people aren't the way they are in the book when it's like just beautifully acted. That's, that's just bad. (laughs) That's just a bad time. But there's a lot of really good stuff in that TV show. So if you're a fan of the books or a fan of the show, I suggest that you pick up the other medium because they're both really freaking good. I have read nothing of note. I started digging into ornament of the world today. Finally, it's been okay, but I have, I'm like a handful of pages in. It's barely worth mentioning. So let's move on to something else, Jonathan. All right. Uh, I expect to hear more in the next episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I got the movie version. So, yes, you will one way or the other. <laughs> I'm about halfway through uh, Valkyrie. It's quite fun. I mean, it's the same level of book, which is to say it's super, super fun, and I'm having a great time with it. 
I'll have to pick your, I, you know, remind me when you come visit, I'll pick your ear about that. Absolutely. I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, that's reading. Shall we move on to uh, movies and TV since we already talked about The Expanse a little bit? Well, I'll get started. So we were talking with Ray. And uh, if you remember last episode, uh, I think I was the one that said the only winning move is not to play uh, with something that Ray was doing. That lodged itself like a like a splinter in my mind. And I ended up having to watch war games because of it. (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised. Like movie holds uh, up well, doesn't it? I mean, yes and no. Like, that movie can't happen today. So I guess that angle of it doesn't hold No, up. no. I'm strictly talking about from a, a storytelling perspective. Like, but from it, a story, yeah, from a storytelling perspective, it ain't bad. You know, it's, it's I, I forgot that, that Professor Hawkins was fairly nihilist. <laughs> He's like, let the world burn. I don't care. Nah. Well, that's why he ran away to his little island and yeah. hid. Yeah. And then yeah, he got yeah. that dope RC plane, which was actually a pterodactyl. Yeah, that was pretty rad. Which, for the life of me, I've spent the last 35-plus years searching for and have yet to see it live and in person. Well, he built it, so there you go. You need to learn how to build those by yourself, sir. Uh, yeah, because what I need is another hobby. Yes, yes, you do. Yes, you do. What I found surprising was that the hacking that they did was relatively... I mean, it, again, you couldn't get away with it in this day and age, but, you know, I mean, he used some very basic, like... Um, uh, it was accurate. Yeah, it was accurate. Like, like figuring out where people store their passwords and and like physically, you know, like written as as notes. Yeah, he so did you, he did social engineering and social engineering. And that's what I was looking for. There was a, a, an accurate portrayal of uh, freaking. And then he would just carpet bomb numbers. Like he just sequentially called all the numbers of, uh, to try to break into a video game company because he just knew what area code it would be in. Uh, that was kind of funny. Yeah, but it would have worked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't get away with it now. Although he didn't really get away with it then because they, they kind of caught him. But yeah, yeah. Anyway. But yeah, no, the, the movie held up pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I was engaged throughout and nothing that happened in it was like cringe worthy, like two people working on the same keyboard to deflect hacking, you know? <laughs> what? There weren't any cookie monsters? No, no. Yeah. So no, good movie. <laughs> Only winning move is not to play. Still very poignant, you know, 30 years later. That's that's a very, very good lesson to learn. Sometimes you just need to learn when to give up because it's just not worth it. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's problem. True. People have like like me on social media, not yelling at people for posting disinformation because you know what? That is just that it, drinking from the fire hose or something. That is just a never ending well and it doesn't really do anything. So you know what? The only winning move is not to play. And now you will be terminated for your stupidity. <laughs> so the daughter got old enough and uh, we figured we should probably let her see where her name came from. So we watched the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings. We've actually been watching it for like, this might be the second or third episode at this point, but I just haven't talked about it because we haven't gotten there yet. And, and that was just to get through part one, right? <laughs> no, no, we just finished it uh, the other day. I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding, but no, really I'm not. not because those really extended editions really are, they're what, like four and a half hours each? Uh, no, they add an extra half hour to each of them. So it's three and a half, three and a half and four. Yeah. Oh, it's still a lot. And, you know, it went a little bit over her head because they sort of speak in that flowery Tolkien speak, <laughs> you know, with big words and, and weird turns of phrase. But overall, you know, I, I hadn't seen them in a long time. It's been a while since I watched those movies. So that was fun. And, you know, she liked the battle sequences and stuff. And she, you know, she was paying attention enough to ask questions. And, yeah, she just didn't get what people were saying most of the time because they were just talking just a little over her head. So I don't know. We'll probably come back to it in a year or two and see if her opinions change. She didn't hate it, though. So that was nice. That's good. And she really felt bad for Gollum, which was cute. 
Well, I mean, that's one of the things that's most effective of the movie is it makes him very sympathetic. Yeah, yeah, until he goes, like, full evil, mustache-twirling bad guy. Speak aloud! (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, we've been uh, keeping up with Picard, and, uh, yeah. Don't ruin a thing for me. Oh, my gosh, the recent episode was so good. Yeah, I gotta get on that uh, CBS All Access. Yeah. It's dark, though. It is so dark. <laughs> and it's kind but of... I've heard good dark, not bad dark. Yeah, what, what's interesting about it is... Like, the, is it Warhammer dark? No, no. But it's getting close to that. Like, like the... Wow. Like, Picard, Picard is Picard. Like, that has not changed. But they've done two things. Like, the world around him is much darker because the Federation has basically kind of, like, hunkered down at this point, so they've gotten very isolationist. Not like any country we currently know you, You've already got me because, let me tell you, like, that is the best thing about Star Trek is when it is, you know, trying to mirror and comment on modern politics. Like, that's always been the best Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's... Again, I, I remember not liking Discovery because I, I didn't like how it wasn't positive and, and this future is not positive at all. Um, what is nice is Jean-Luc is still Jean-Luc. He is still a, a force for positivity. But this last episode, uh, Jean-Luc being Jean-Luc, he kind of came off as an inadvertent dick. <laughs> and I won't spoil how, but I don't know. It makes me want to kind of like go back and watch episodes and see if he's ever, you know, having like a moment where he thinks he's being a good guy, but he's actually just kind of being an ass to somebody and not really realizing it because it's, it's a good point to make like Jean-Luc is kind of, you know, up in his Jean-Luc-ness, I guess. Yeah. Well, that was something in the original, the original next generation show was that sometimes he would come off as pompous and arrogant. And while that was fine for the Federation, like often other cultures would maybe kind of see it that way. Like that, that caused a couple of different episodes worth of, uh, friction i remember that clearly yeah yeah so it's, it's making me want to go back and watch tng especially when dharmic and jalar yeah that was a great episode i actually like that episode i know people hate it but i, I think that one i great. love that episode yeah the episode is fantastic i mean it doesn't also, make there's sense a great there's a great show uh have you seen, or not a great show a great uh t-shirt based on that and it's like a rock concert and it's got jean-luc playing the guitar and it says dark and jalar at the at Managra or something. <laughs> it's freaking, I'll see if I can find it while we chat. Just watching TNG again with the notion that that is not what really happened. That's like how Jean-Luc wrote his memoirs. It might be an interesting viewing to try to sort of change your frame around that show. And that maybe the Federation isn't as bright and shining as he thinks it is. You know what I mean? So that's, that's a fair criticism to weigh on it. Anyway, I'm still liking the show. It is very dark. I get why people are kind of hating on it. I'm the latest episode, The Impossible Box, was really good though. Like riveting TV. Are they really <laughs> hating on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few people who are kind of hating. Like, again, because it's the Federation isn't positive. It's not a future you necessarily want to be in because things are just bad. You know, like the Federation's in a bad place, and the Romulans especially are in a bad place. Like they've they've effectively I, I don't know what they've become like there's a crazy power vacuum and things are just going to hell there because there's factions that are doing stupid crap and so they've gone full north korea no 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 it's it, no they would be like syria in this analogy in a way like, oh wow yeah it, there there are many things because one thing they're doing really well is they're not portraying the romulans as a monoculture which is nice because like uh this is a very mild spoiler. Can I just talk about it? It's not bad. It's not like this is going to ruin the show. 
All right, as long as it doesn't ruin the show for me. Okay, uh, they they show this like group of Romulan monks, and because like the Romulan government is like you know deceitful and duplicitous and layers, like these rebel religious people among the Romulans, they are the exact opposite. Like their their word for them means like the open book or something like that, and so they only speak the really really harsh awful truth to people, and they're not like that at all like they're 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 romulan rebels and they're religious and they just say what comes to mind and they're rude and it's it's just cool like they introduce these these like because in a society where everything is so tightly controlled and everything is full of secrets and layers and onions you know like layers of onions like how would you rebel against that you rebel against it by becoming very religious and just saying whatever comes to your mind no matter how rude or awful it is yeah i just thought that was it was was cute like I, i i really liked that the Romulan star empire, which for years has been this monoculture. They show that it's got layers and stuff. And it's just because Jean-Luc as part of the military, essentially, he only dealt with their government. And so when you go, when he's not in that apparatus anymore and he has to deal with like the fringes and the, you know, the, the seedy parts of, of not just the Federation, but of Romulan space, it's not like that everywhere. You know, it's, it's just good. Like I, I, you, you they always kind of hinted that that existed cause they'd walk into those like awful space bars and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. This series is really dwelling in there and it's fascinating because of it, because they're showing this other half of the galaxy that, you know, the lofty Federation doesn't really touch on all that often. So it's nice. It's a good show. Well, I'm excited to watch it for sure. You should be. All right. What have you been watching? Uh, let's see for me. Um, like I said, the expanse, uh, continuing the good place and having a great time with it. Really liking that, uh, season two, uh, twist. That was fun. <laughs> and, and it's taken it to some interesting places. And then this weekend, uh, finally, finally, even though I've had it for almost a month, got a chance to sit down and watch Terminator Dark Fate. How was it? Uh, I mean, are we doing a spoiler discussion or no? I want to see it, so no. I have it on my queue at the library. There are many aspects of it that are extremely interesting questions, but the script does not pull it off, and there are way too many coincidences. Hmm, okay. Tell you what, let me, uh, I I don't know when I'm getting that, but when I get that, we can talk about it. Linda Hamilton is a badass. I loved seeing her again, and I really enjoyed what they did with her character. Honestly, like there were a lot of aspects of it that were really good. You you could see that they they weren't taking their time explaining everything. It was clear they had enough material for a trilogy or more, and so they were holding some back. And it's a pity because we're never going to get them because it's burned at the box office. Yeah, I heard I heard people saying they liked it on the internet. But. I enjoyed it. The effects are sometimes sketchy. The, <laughs> there were a couple effects that were really genuinely not good for a a movie of this caliber. Weird. And there were others that were really good, so go figure. But there was, there was one where, where even Carlos was like, oh, man, that effect was really bad. That looks really fake. <laughs> well, I am currently 188th in line on 45 copies, so yes. <laughs> I mean, it's really not that bad when you stop and think about it. Yeah, worst case scenario, I will have it in nine weeks. Uh, oh, well, whatever. It's free. <laughs> well, it's not free. I'm paying for it with my taxes, and damn it, I'm going to use them. Well, you're getting your money's worth out of your library, that's for sure. Yeah, we were just there today. You know they have two 3D printers there that you can just use? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go do that. I need to go make an account on what they make an account on. But somebody made a uh, uh, a little 3D printed thing that you can make of Malroth from Dragon Quest Builders 2, like as a little like miniature figure. It's probably like... My little scythe size would be my guess. 
I'm going to go make that because why not? It's free and I'm paying for it with my taxes. So I'm going to use it. I can't deny your thought process there. I really can't. <laughs> you watch anything else or? Uh, no, that's it. It's been kind of a quiet couple of weeks. Yeah. Same here. I've been, I, I, my list is very sparse. All right. So get your RPGs out of the way. The tool I've been finding invaluable in this game because the game is so sandboxy and like, uh, you know, borders have been shifting and whatnot. I bought a program called Hexographer. Yeah, you keep sending me those maps. Those are dope. Yeah, isn't it? And it's nice that like you can make decisions and I can update the map. And as things happen, I can put things in the map like as you guys as they discover things. Uh, One of the NPCs that was in uh, the last adventure I ran for it was this witch who lived in a, a weird tower out in the woods. And I put it on the map. You know, because she's out there and I'm like, I have an icon for a tower. Boom, she's out there. And so now, like, we know where she is. Like, it's there. And it just makes a lot of the things. And I don't know if my players care. (laughs) I like it. I like maps. I I care. I think it's awesome. So I I like that I can update this game as I go. And I like if I get ideas for things, I can put them in. And I don't think I told you this, but I I shared it with my players. Uh, I I based the coast of this game just randomly off the coast of uh, southern Washington, northern Oregon, actually. And I just turned the map upside down. Yeah. But that's all I did. I just flipped the map upside down and then I, I, I put stuff on it because the, the coast here is kind of cool looking. So that's what I based it on. I, I posted a picture of one of the maps on one of the early episodes. Uh, I forget which or not early, but one of the previous episodes. I forget which one. But yeah, Hexographer is great. If you're running a D&D game, especially if it's homebrew, just use it because you don't need really sexy looking maps. You just need maps that you could add things to. And if the players discover something like the Tomb of Belthor or whatever, you could just put it on the map and you know where it is and it's just there. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of that. Uh, how about we slide right over to video games? Anything new on your plate? No, uh, I've been playing Civilization Six again and modding it because mods are fun. Uh, but yeah, just. I've been having a really hard time, by the way. Uh, Dragon's Quest is on sale for 50% off right now. 11? Uh, Yeah, the new one. Yeah, if you want to lose 120 hours of your life over some indeterminate period of time, go ahead, man. It's great. It's a great time. (laughs) That game is awesome. I don't know if you've just pleased me or sold me or what. I don't know. Oh, man. Yeah, they have like this post game that you can play. Like I got 80 hours into that game, and when you finish it, the the credits roll and then you can just start your file and it says like you know whatever like you know you can start your file and then it just sort of picks up like an indeterminate period of time after the game and just continues for another 40 hours now there's not like a ton of story in that 40 hours it's mostly just hard fights and stuff but it was still very satisfying and i don't want to spoil it because it's great and it deals with wibbly wobbly time travel which is also my favorite thing so ah it's so good I'll see what I can do. Speaking of which, I've been kind of falling off the Dragon Quest Builders 2 bandwagon because I kind of didn't have any projects I really wanted to do that were inspiring me. And my D&D game is inspiring me. So I'm just building everything. (laughs) I built the player's castle of Calabria. I built uh, recently um, one of my players opened up a blacksmith and another one opened up a law office and I built both of them. And I researched like historical buildings for inspiration. And it's been so much fun. Uh, and it's kind of nice because like historical buildings kind of look like, what's a good word for historical buildings. They kind of look like garbage, garbage. I'll go with garbage. And, and so, you know, but it's not something you would build in like your fantasy building game. It's just like, you know, real functional buildings and it's kind of just a different headspace and it's fun and I'm enjoying myself. So yes, mining my D and D game for crap to build in dragon quest builders too. Uh, good times. Highly recommend. And uh, I've been playing overwatch cause 
Overwatch is Overwatch. I'm kind of hate playing it still. I tried Titanfall. I didn't try the multiplayer. I should probably do that. I was playing the the base game, but yeah. Titanfall it, 1 or Titanfall 2? Titanfall 2. Uh, I love that campaign. That campaign has one of my favorite campaign levels in a FPS of all time. Yeah, yeah it's just it's a little it's a little violent for the kiddos to watch. So I, I got to watch one. OK, yeah, I'll, I'll see you there. I mean, you yeah. know, you can punch people with a giant mech and cause them to explode into a red mist. Yep. Squishy bits. And that's literally it for me. I, I've got one last thing, but I will save that for the pre-board gaming. So I guess next. So go. What have you been video gaming? Uh, what have I been video gaming? Uh, still playing Apex. Season four is awesome. That is all. Um, found a new love for the Havoc. If you mm-hmm. play Apex, you'll know what I mean. Okay. I got back into War Thunder recently. Uh, somebody, a buddy of mine went through a breakup and he was like, oh, dude, just come play War Thunder with me. It's been months since I played it because my ex didn't want me to. So I said, okay, it's a free download. And they've added tanks and they've added ships since the last time I played it. So I've kind of gotten really Mm. throttled in. That's cool. I like the tanks better than the world of tanks tanks. It's just fun. I just think it's a better video game. And the fact that I've gotten probably 40 or 50 hours out of, of gameplay out of it at this point, you know, since it launched many years ago and I still have yet to sink a single dollar into it that's really i got no complaints you know there you go um continuing to play, play spider-man i think i'm getting really close to the end because uh, from a story beat perspective it feels like that uh still enjoying the living daylights out of it where where are you at in that game by the way or where hold on let me where where am i at in that game i don't even remember anymore i'm doing some like submission about like i forget oh, oh crossbones i think or some random person not crossbones i forget who I'm doing some random side mission right now. Tombstone. That's it. Tombstone. I think that's available to me. I don't know if I've gone to it yet. Yeah, it's actually pretty long. Um, but like uh, Miles a lot Mor- of the side missions are. Yeah, but Miles Morales has showed up and has he yeah, showed I up got for you? Miles. Yeah, yeah, Miles showed up for me. Okay. Yeah, and I think yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I should finish up that game so we can talk about it more because it's it is really good. Uh, let's see. And then the other thing that I've been playing is um, another free to play game that. Uh, I never tried on the PC. I only tried it on the PlayStation 4, and that's Dreadnought. Yeah, I've uh, I've played that a little bit on the PS4. How, how has it changed? Because I only played it right when it came out. There's a lot more content, that's for sure. Um, from a gameplay perspective, things feel a little faster than they used to. Not terrible change. Not terribly big changes. It feels like a lot of balancing stuff. Really, I was surprised that it was as samey as it was. Really, there's a lot more game modes though. I only played the main game mode. So one last thing before we go over to board games with you, Jonathan, uh, I recently got reminded that the 10 year anniversary of my, uh, star Wars campaign, my saga edition, the one that I say, I don't need to play the, the FFG game for, because I, I played that game so long ago. Uh, it, it, it's the 10, 10 years, Jonathan, that game is 10 years That's old. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you want to know what's crazy? Uh, so my friend who was in that game, he played a character named Callum. He ended up working for EA of all places. And he was talking to the guy, one of the guys, one of the mods on that game, apparently. And wouldn't you know, his character ended up in star Wars, the old Republic. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yes. I'm sending you the link to Callum. Uh, it is loosely based off of his character. I, I don't know how or why or whatever, but yes, it is the same name and it is direct it is a direct reference to that game. So there you go. I would love if one day I made it into a video game in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So there you go. 
Well, apparently you just gotta gotta play role playing games and and share stories. But anyway, yes, ten years, my friend, since that role playing game. All right, go on to board games, and then we got no time to bond, so we got a shotgun. All right, on to board games. Uh, played a couple more games of Flamme Rouge. <laughs> Still loving it. Played another game of Flotilla, which I told you is probably one of the heaviest of heavy games I've ever played. Still heavy. Still fun. Like super fun. <laughs> the more you learn it, the the more they're the more you're going to pull out of it, frankly. It's one of those games that just rewards multiple plays. Played some more games of Monster Slaughter with the kids, and they really enjoyed it again. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm just continuing to really think that that's a fantastic, light gameplay loop. I like it. I've got Oni Rim on my phone, and I have played the living daylights out of it. Just so many. Just so many plays of it. Um, and actually, I checked my statistics, and I'm at like a 46% win rate, which I'm pretty happy about. <laughs> that game can be tough. That game can be brutal. Have you ever played Onirim? No, I have not. But uh, by that, is that game tough? Would you swear that your nerves are showing? Would you, pers- mm. would you perhaps set your hopes up way too high? The living's in the mm, way we fine. die. Comes the morning, and the headlights fade away. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just quoting lyrics from living daylights at you oh i got you (laughs) never mind bad joke we'll see if it makes it in the podcast i mean it was pretty bad it was pretty bad i do like it as you know i love you though you want to know it's fun so i was out selling girl scout cookies and uh the girl started the girl scouts started demanding that i say dad demanding (laughs) demanding yeah that i start sharing dad jokes because i'm a dad and so I log on to my normal source of dad jokes, which is a Discord channel for the YouTube channel Geekism. And one of the Discord channels is just dad jokes. And who do I see uh, has provided several, several dad joke for that? I wouldn't be surprised to see Dale in there. But my lovely wife, she oh, there you go. shares dad jokes, which, which I love her for because, you know, down with patriarchy and all that, everybody can share dad jokes. It's, it's all good. But my favorite of hers is uh, why do teenagers only hang out in groups of three or five? Oh, <laughs> because they can't even. They can't even. <laughs> I love that one. Or how about why do moon rocks taste better than earth rocks? Oh, I know this one because <laughs> it's a little meteor. Yep, 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 yep. Your, your dad's skills are higher than mine. It's a good time. Hey, did you hear the rumor about butter, by the way? No. Well, I'm not one to spread it. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there it is did i tell you i just lost my job at the keyboard factory they told me i wasn't putting enough shifts in <laughs> i like that one i'm gonna use that one <laughs> so there you go geekism dad jokes sorry for the tangent moving along <laughs> i feel like you really do need to apologize to the entire podcast for that <laughs> it was pretty bad it was pretty bad Oh, by the way, fun fact, uh, in War Thunder, if you get going fast enough with the tanks and then do a hard turn, you can make it power slide like they did in uh, Goldfinger, or Goldeneye, <laughs> excuse me. That is, uh, by the way, did you know that they legit did that with a, with a T-95 tank? Yeah, yeah. That was before CG could pull that off. So yes, I know they did that. Oh, man. Oh, the CG from those Pierce Brosnan movies. Oh, the CG from those movies. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, God. Spe- speaking of which, I, I don't even remember what we're talking about. Are we? Is it time to not bond or what? No, not yet. Uh, also, I got the... Uh, because I, I backed Blood Rage Digital, uh, which I only backed to get the physical rewards, not because I wanted Blood Rage Digital, although <laughs> I do want Blood Rage Digitally. 
because I backed that, I got my Steam key for the uh, for the beta. Oh, so nice. I'll be downloading that and experimenting that with that uh, this week. Oh, did you hear the Final Fantasy VII remake demo is out? It is. It is. Uh, they put it on the one of the consoles at work, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to be doing that later tonight, so we'll, I will tell you next episode. Oh, what am I saying? I should put it on my PS4 Pro. Yes. Yes. All right, I'll do that. There you go. Is it time to bond? I so want to talk about it. I so want to talk about it. All right, well, that brings us to the end of what we've gotten off the shelf, which means it is time for part six of our 27-part series, No Time to Bond, where we are watching the 007 movies in order of release date, which means we're back. No, no, we're. I'm sorry, we are away from Sean Connery and into the singular George Lazenby movie, Fun fact, George Lazenby's manager told him that these movies would never go anywhere beyond uh, beyond the, the one that he was in and to not sign up for the sequels. Yep, yep, yep. I read that, too. I read that, too. We are going to get into that <laughs> while Lazenby. Hashtag fire that manager. But first, before we get there, uh, this part we are doing the sixth movie, 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. This never happened to the other guy. <laughs> a budget of $7 million made 82 which is a bit of a downgrade from the previous ones. And uh, this movie was supposed to come after Thunderball, but they couldn't get a good location, so they pushed it a couple of times. (laughs) And how'd that work out? Yeah. This, to me, might be the... From a film perspective, from a filmmaking perspective, I think this is the worst of the Bond films. uh, I don't know. I'm talking about filmmaking. I, I think the main problem was nobody had ever recast like a character like bond before and like oh the recasting isn't even the beginning of the problem it it isn't but i think that's a big part i think it is actually because it felt to me like they didn't know how to handle it so they weren't very sure of what they were doing they weren't confident about it they were really meek you know they kept trying to like remind you that this is bond because they had like you know there's a janitor who's randomly uh, whistling the goldfinger theme and there's like uh, a lot of like he he's going through his desk when he resigns and he pulls out props from the previous movies and stuff and it's just like they keep beating you over the head with like this is it's still bond <laughs> still, <laughs> see? Still the same timeline see see and it's like uh just just have some confidence and move on it doesn't matter it's not like we're watching these movies because of their intricate plots and let's be fair we're also not watching them for their great acting or dubbing techniques, you know? Like, we're watching it for the action and the spy stuff. Like, move along. It's fine. So so where do we even begin? Uh, I mean, in the intro, this movie commits what I think to be a cardinal sin, no matter how bad it is. It's It breaks the fourth wall. Yes. He looks directly at the camera and says, well, this never happened to the other guy. Yeah, the other fellow. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, like fellow. I said, it's like they weren't sure that they wanted to do it. They, they just couldn't commit. They just should. They just didn't get they need to. And they certainly just figured why, it out. Why even acknowledge that? Right. Well, they figured it out because I don't think Roger Moore ever acknowledges it. Like they just sort of shuffle on like nothing happened, you know? Yeah. No, it, which is the way it should be. Yeah. But they I guess they need to learn that lesson the hard way. Oh, God, did they ever. How about the the. the editing in this film i found the editing to be just atrocious and very difficult to follow like the fight scenes the fight scenes have jump cuts that are occurring every like second and a half oh i know which is weird because the fighting was like a lot better choreographed like you know the that that was the irony of the whole thing the fighting was uh choreographed a lot better but 
Uh, it, it was edited in such a way that you could never really see what was going on because when they edited, they would edit backwards and forwards in the choreography. And so it didn't make any damn sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this. George Lazenby did a great job with the, the fights. Like, yeah, he is uh, he was very physical and it showed. Well, he was also the youngest person ever to play Bond. You know that he was. 29. Uh, yes, I did. Twenty nine. Connery was thirty one when he picked up the role. Uh, Moore was 45, Dalton was 40, and Broslin was 41. Incidentally, do you know who almost got cast as Bond in this, in this film? Who? Timothy Dalton. He turned it down because he didn't think he could play Bond at 22. Oh, God. So many of these actors, they, they, they turned it down and then came back. Because Brosnan had to turn it down because he had a contract to do Remington Steel. Yeah, and Roger Moore, they were originally going to do... This movie was originally going to be... I forget which one. But they, they, they found a good location. And uh, the one that he was signing up to do was like in some country that was having problems. So instead of you know doing that, he signed up for another series of The Saint. And Roger Moore... That's why Roger Moore wasn't Bond this time. And that's why he had to wait you know two more movies. So it, yeah, it's weird. It's weird how small that little group is. But... Oh, yeah, no, it's just, I, I feel like they really just didn't commit with Lazenby, you know, like they just didn't know what no, to do. No, they didn't. And and then the, the casting of Telly Savalas, which I, I know Telly Savalas was huge around this time. Like, you know, Kojak had been a thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Telly Savalas was a very well-known actor at this time, but my goodness, he was so miscast. It just doesn't make sense. I know a lot of people think that Lazenby is like a terrible actor and he wasn't great, but he wasn't the biggest problem. No, he wasn't bad. And that was the problem. And again, like being unsure about him, he's dubbed for like 40 minutes in this movie, you know, because he's playing this other guy. And so they had the other guy dub him, you know, and it's like, oh, why? Why? You should have had Lazenby dub that guy for the five seconds he was in the movie instead of going the other way around, but they just weren't sure about Lazenby being able to pull it off. So they, they dubbed him in with like another actor and it's, it's just maddening because it's so weird. And I think part of the problem too is like plot structure wise, like Blofeld and Bond don't recognize each other, even though they met in the previous film. And part of the problem was they really wanted to make like a very close to the book movie. And in the book continuity, this is the first time that Blofeld and Bond meet. So they just rolled with it instead of like, you know, acknowledging it. And of all things where they could have like had a good explanation for why Bond looks different, they could have, you know, plastic surgerized him up so Blofeld wouldn't recognize him because his cover was blown or something. But God, they didn't even do that. You know, like they just couldn't commit to the idea. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think every single criticism that you just levied against it is 100 percent fair. They they don't commit. And on top of it, they hired an inexperienced director and it showed. Mm hmm. Because the camera work was not great. And whoever that they got to edit it, I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I mean, just unacceptable. I, you, you, The editing actually hurt the flow of the story. So I don't even know how much of, of the direction I can, I, I can trash because it might have just been the edit. And I mean, the plot's okay. I mean, the, the, I, I, it's, such a, it's such a Dr. Evil plan. I will hypnotize several women from around the world and make them release a virus unless the United Nations pays me a hefty sum. Hmm? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and then you got Telly Zavallis like smirking at the camera like, and then I'm going to retire, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who loves you, baby? <laughs> Here's a Kojak reference for you. 
for those of you who are old enough to have watched reruns when you were young. Oh my god, my parents forced so much Kojak on me. I don't think I've ever watched an episode, so that's good. Oh, oh, oh you need to YouTube that. Okay, we'll do. Usually we talk about the bad. Was uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of it. Uh. Next. I, I well no like like the the sexist bits and and whatnot. I oh. think I think the worst yes. thing is like Bond like is is loving up on Tracy who he eventually marries at the end of the film, which is fine. But then he goes off on a mission and I think sleeps with at a minimum two women. <laughs> no, no three, three, and then he comes back and he just yeah you know whatever. <laughs> What happens on a, a weird mountaintop base stays at the weird mountaintop base, yeah, I guess. It was 1969, you know, free love and all. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, but I, I, I got to give it credit. I mean, given he was acting like a spy and thus he was lying to women, I guess he wasn't being like uh, – there was there, – I, I can't I, – I don't know. Like uh, this movie was so dull. I, I, I'm having problems remembering it, but I don't remember anything being, you know, too Connery creepy. <laughs> no, no joke. It took me four nights to get through it because I couldn't sit down and power through more than about 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, my, my wife fell asleep during it. <laughs> that it, It's such a painful film in every respect. And then, you know, the irony of the whole thing is the last five minutes of that film is friggin' soul crushing. Yeah. Yeah. If Lazenby had come back, that would have been the opener for Diamonds Are Forever. That's how that movie would have opened instead of Bond going on a killing spree. <laughs> but i mean like that last five minutes is really well done yes yes lazenby's good lazenby's yeah. really good like that 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 it was just heartbreaking where was that the rest of the friggin' movies what i kept asking yeah yeah <sighs> we had all the time in the world it's okay <laughs> i'm like oh yeah no lazenby should have come back so why didn't Lazenby come back? Let's go over that very briefly, and then we'll. I think I think I think we've said what we need to say. Definitely we, not the creepiest Bond movie. No, no. Although Telly Savalas was getting a little creepy with uh, with Tracy with Bond's yes. wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was getting a little yeah, iffy. Yeah. Let me sit down next to you. Who loves you, baby? <laughs> so you mentioned his agent thought that this wasn't going to last. That's true. And apparently, at the premiere, uh, Lazenby came with long hair and a beard, big beard. Like like a, like a hipster beard or whatever, which the producers took as a personal slight against them because he also wasn't helping with the promotion very much, but he wasn't looking very Bond like, and they thought that was that was a personal slight. Lazenby complained frequently that he didn't like how everybody treated him like he didn't know what he was doing, which I think he was like an underwear model previous to this, so technically he didn't. <laughs> you know, it it happened enough that uh, like years later when they were doing interviews, like some of the, like the lady who played Tracy commented on it. So he brought it up enough during filming that it got through to other people. Well, uh, you know who that was. She played, uh, uh, a character in game of Thrones, the cute little old lady that, uh, her granddaughter marries. Uh, oh, wow. Her tell her, tell her Cersei was me. <laughs> was that her? Yeah. 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 That was her. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. She's a good actress. Yeah. Very good actress. Some people say it's because the producers hated him, which is true. They let him go without too much of a fight, but they did offer him a seven picture deal and he was going to make a lot of money. So they didn't hate him that much because they didn't fire him. They just weren't too sad when he left. <laughs> and then I've read somewhere that uh, he said that he got a little too method while playing Bond and like started drinking heavily. <laughs> and I can't I can't corroborate this, but it's still funny. Because if you actually drank as much as Bond drinks, especially if you read the books, you would die. 
Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I mean, you would die a lot. Yeah. You would, like, extra die. <laughs> uh, Didn't he just die? Yes, he's dying again. He, his cirrhosis has cirrhosis. Yeah, he's died so much, he's coming back around for another go. <laughs> I, I think I'm done. Like, I, I, I would say I think this is the worst movie of the bunch because it's just, it's dull. And I, it's not Lazenby's yeah, fault. I don't think it's, I, he was fine. No, no. I mean, like, he, he was fine. And, and in the end, he even has a, a brush with brilliance. Yes. No, it, Lazenby wasn't the, the chief issue. The chief issue of this movie is that, frankly, it's, it's boring. It's paced incomprehensibly slow. It does not tell a good story, and a big chunk of that is the editing. And and even though they managed to make it considerably less creepy and sexist than the previous films, yeah, it, it, it's it's all for naught because they made a crappy movie. <laughs> oh, but his fedora came back. I noticed that, so I guess he didn't lose his fedora. Although I know for a fact the fedora is not in Diamonds Are Forever at all. So. The scene with Money Penny was sweet too. I do have to say. That. Oh, when he throws him the when he throws her the fedora, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little silent acknowledgement. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I can't wait for Diamonds Are Forever. I remember really liking that one. So I, I haven't watched it in like 10 years, though. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, I started already. Oh. Well, I'm not, I don't have it from the library yet. So, so no spoilers. No, I won't say anything. I won't say anything. Suffice it to say, the first thing I said was, wow, uh, Connery's really old. And then my wife came in completely unscripted and she said, oh, my God, is that Connery? And I said, yeah, why? And she's like, oh, he got really old in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, this is why part of the reason why it was his last one. Yeah, because he would have been, it came out in like, what, 71, I want to say? Yeah. Yeah, so he would have been, if he was 31 and the first one, yeah, he would have been 40, yeah, he would have been 41. I don't know. Maybe he just yeah, let he, himself go. He did not age gracefully. He did. BS, man. That man's a, that, come on, come on, daddy. Well, that's daddy the thing. Indiana? He, he aged really gracefully as a younger man and then in his 40s he all of a sudden he looked like he was in his late 50s and then <laughs> he's just stopped aging from like 50 to 70 that's true i'll give you that i'll give you that he aged all at once and once he got past that he was good to go <laughs> yeah he just stopped there he's like nope no more i'm good and it's, like, it's eh. like he hit the fast forward button and realized it and then hit pause for a while yeah i guess that's not a bad way to go you know like Have if you seen i him lately no, I don't want to. I'll just. You want to see a picture of the specter of death hanging around? No, no. <laughs> it looks like he's ready to go. Okay, okay. I think we're done. I think we're done. So next time, next up is uh, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, the the second to last Connery film, <laughs> depending. On also, how. I might add one of my favorite Bond songs because yes. Shirley Bassey is back. Diamonds still madly are in love forever, with her. forever. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a good tune. All the time in the world was the last song that Louis Armstrong ever did. Man, what a way to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, all the time in the world. God. Ah, that was soul crushing. It was such a good yeah, scene. No, the last five minutes of that movie is genuinely upsetting. Yeah. It, but in a really good way. It's good film. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. Unfortunately, okay. it was preceded by like 115 minutes of garbage. <laughs> all right. All right. Moving along. Moving along. We're good. We're good. Diamonds are forever. Join us next time. <laughs> All right, and that brings us to the end of our segment. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, it will be time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. Time to talk about a little bit of news. A lot of bit of news, because we didn't do any last time. Well. I'll make it fast. It, it, we're getting back into the good part of life. Yes. 
Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And uh, after the deep, dark doldrums of the winter, it is now news time. News is coming. <laughs> news ha- news has come, my friend. Yeah, it doesn't really jive with, like, winter is coming, does it? No. No, nah, not so much. Nah, I guess if I sh- Sheen Bean saying that, it would work. But, yeah. <sighs> All right, well, let's get started with some fun news. Uh, I am a big Scooby-Doo fan. Oh, oh, you stole this from me. I was going to make a joke. I was going to say betrayal at Mystery Mansion and then pretend it was something else. And then. But it's not like betrayal. I hate you. Go do it. Okay. (laughs) Not one, but two Scooby-Doo games coming to the market uh, in 2020, both apparently in the first half. First, our friends at the Op uh, are releasing Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion. It's a new line of um, IP-themed escape room board games. Uh, They're calling it the Coded Chronicles, and the Scooby-Doo one will be the first one. Sounds good. Yes, you're going to be trying to solve the mystery of Lady Fairmont's ghost. Ooh. And then the other one is from uh, Avalon Hill, and they are releasing Betrayal at Mystery Mansion. Yeah, this looks rad. And you are correct. This is the Betrayal at House on the Hill skin. Yes. Uh, I, I was looking at the components. They basically have uh, inside the mansion and outside the mansion, so there's not three locations. So it's definitely going to be different, which is nice. Are they going to uh, pre, uh, pre-paint the minis? It, it, in the mock-up, I saw yes, but we oh, will see. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. But we will see, but I will definitely get it. Because maybe a little family-friendlier, you know, maybe a little bit easier to manage. Uh, yeah, I could dig that. Rob Davio is enjo- uh, in, involved in the uh, designing of it, so I'm, I'm th- I've got high hopes for this. Yeah, I, I may get this because I love Betrayal, but it, I, it might be like the horror tropes that make it kind of fun are probably over my eight-year-old stuff. But Scooby-Doo stuff will definitely be good. So, yes, 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 yes. Well, there you go. That was one of my stories. So uh, you just knocked two off my list. No, we just worked it together. Oh, well then uh, go on, sir. Do another. All right. Uh, Coming soon from Aiello, a dexterity catapult game. Ooh. You had me at catapult. Yes, it's called Flying Goblin. Do you make goblins fly with a catapult? Yes, basically. Good talk. (laughs) (laughs) So you take turns launching your goblin meeples off of a seesaw type catapult into a multi-room game box. Nice. And then depending on where you land in the box, uh, or I should say that the rooms, you get to a gold and diamonds that are um, that let you buy more goblins and, of course, get you closer to victory. But there's uh, different rooms with traps and penalties and whatnot that can work against you at the same time. Sounds like fun. Uh, yeah. No, this sounds like, uh, you know, the perfect type of game for ILO, given what they, they generally produce. And I bet it will be a, a really nice production. So this is something I could definitely see myself grabbing for the kids. And that'll be around in uh, this month, apparently, March. Oh, cool. All right. Well, uh, Wizards announced that they were doing more digital stuff with D&D, and uh, they announced what that means. Uh, they have seven games based off of D&D in the works, apparently, as of wow. right now. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, they plan to release one a year for the next seven years. Uh, now, this means that it could be mobile, it could be whatever. They haven't said. But, of course, first up is Baldur's Gate 3. Is it the seventh game of the seventh year? <laughs> and then the the next year's game is going to be uh, Dark Alliance, which uh, they've already got previews out for both of them. Uh, Dark Alliance is a sequel to Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which is kind of basically Diablo in D&D. Although this one's going to star the the characters from the Drizz novels. So it'll be Drizz and Ulfgar and Catabride and Brunor. I forget who the characters are, but yeah, that'll be fun. And uh, the one this year is, is Baldur's Gate 3, where you are turning into a lithiate after someone sticks a tadpole in your brain. So there you go. Now if you want, it's a party. Yeah, if you want to know more about that, we can go into Mind Flare lore next time. All right, well, sticking with Aiello, they've got a new um, civilization building game coming out. It's called Korra, Rise of an Empire. And it takes place in ancient Greece. And um, you're basically trying to advance down economic, culture, or military tracks. And you're doing it with uh, actions that are determined by a dice roll at the beginning of the of the round. In addition, every faction that you can play uh, has uh, some asymmetrical powers that are specific to them. And there will be events that get uh, clicked off at the beginning of each round, which will also help to kind of shake up the, the general gameplay on it. And the box art is great. Nice. James Wyatt uh, recently announced that they are making... A new art book, finally. <laughs> it's been a while for Magic the Gathering. It has been a while. Yeah. Because we usually cover those on the show, and it's been quite a long time, at least six months. Yeah, yeah. The last one was the Aztec one? No, the last one was uh, Ravnica. Ravnica. Oh, that's right. That's right. But yes, uh, they are bringing out a new one. It should be out, I think, soon-ish. Uh, it's called uh, Art of Magic the Gathering, War of the Spark. I am excited. I'm wondering if we're going to get a plane shift again based off of this. But War of the Spark took place in Ravnica, so who knows? It's almost like James Wyatt is busy with stuff, though, speaking of why they haven't done those in a while. But we will save that for next story of mine. Go, Jonathan. Guess who's turning 20 in 2020? Not me. Go on. Blue Orange Game. Oh, yeah, I saw the story. They're releasing three games. And you know they make some really pretty stuff. We've, in fact, reviewed quite uh, quite a few things. Three games, right? Um, no, they will be publishing 20 new games in 2020. Oh my gosh. Okay, go on. Uh, these include titles like Fish Club, Snip Snap, Starlink, Slam Cup, Droll, Cupcake Academy, Cross Clues. I've played Cupcake Academy at a, a con. It's quite fun. Cross Clues, Talent Show, Rip Off, Piece of Pie, and 10 others. Wow, that's impressive. So they've got a bunch of details available at their website. Um, it's all going to be those high-quality productions that they're Wait, so well-known for. is one called Slap Cup? Slam Cup. Slam Cup. Is that, doesn't that sound like something like orcs would do at a bar? Yes. Slam Cup! Slam Cup! I don't know. There's, or barbarians. Yeah. There's a joke in there, but I'm way too tired to do it. So move along. Sorry. Sorry for the tangent. 20 games in 2020, and it's an ambitious project, for to, to say the least, Groovy. I like it. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see if they can pull it off. All right. Well, speaking of James White and him being busy, Wizards has announced Mythic Odysseys of Theros for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. This is another magic setting converted over to the D&D rules set. And you'll like this, Jonathan. It's their vaguely Greek-based setting. Ooh. Ooh. So, yes, they're going to have new races, the Lionin and the Satyrs. New archetypes, including College of Eloquence for Bards and the Oath of Heroism for Paladins. 
five signature artifacts wielded by the gods, which are probably, this is my guess, uh, Cursor, the Sunspear, Asphyxius, the Bow of Nyla, Decala, the Bident of Thassa, the Mastic's Whip of Erebos, and the Sword of Chaos made by Perforos, the god of forging that could harm gods. Plus monsters and fluff and all that stuff you'd expect from a D&D book. And it has a FLGS exclusive cover, which is amazing. Oh my gosh, Jonathan. Oh my gosh. Are you ready for it? Are you, yeah. Are you ready for it? I'm going to link it to you. I want to get your impression. This is the FLGS exclusive cover to the new Theros book. Oh, that is dope. Yeah, it's probably going to be foily and shiny too. Oh, look at him. Yeah. Oh, look, one of the heads has been chopped off. Yeah. I think that's, uh, what's this called? Perfios? Per- per- uh, there's a Hydra named Hydra. You notice how he, his shadows are stars? Yeah. So in this setting, uh, the gods and godly things come from the Nyx, which is what is the night sky. And so gods and whatnot, uh, their shadows are all star fields because they come from the night. And so when you look up into the sky at night, you are not seeing like space and stars and stuff. You are literally seeing Nicks. And when the gods fight, you can see them fighting above you during the night. So how big is the bowl of acid tabs at Magic the, the Gathering headquarters, do you think? I don't know, but... Uh, but pretty big, right? Pretty big, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, their, their mythology is amazing. Like, make no mistake. <laughs> I say that with love and affection. <laughs> but it's wacky. Like, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's good times. Well, like everything, magic has really good art direction. And, and gods with star fields as identifiers of gods and godly things, um, that's a very good visual clue. And so you see that in a lot of art. If you look at any of the gods in any of the, the Theros-based sets, like, all of the god types have the, the star fields for shadows. It's really cool. I can't wait. I'm very excited. I'm going to go down to my FLGS and order me a uh, a variant cover of this uh, just as That's soon as I dope. can. Yeah, that is pretty dope. Yeah, yeah. Wife, if you're asking me why I wanted fifty dollars today, now you know why. And it's too late for you to do every anything because by the time you hear this, it's gonna be in the bank of Runin board. <laughs> Wow. And I'm 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 spent. Go on, Jonathan. Some huge news came out just yesterday actually. I don't know if you've seen this. Mm. Asthma Day and Plaid Hat are going their separate ways. I did see this. I did. They're going independent and some guy quit or left or I'm not All right. Sure. So here's here's the thing. Asthma Day and Plaid Hat are having a um a split, but it's it's a happy one. Uh, basically, Colby, the owner of Plaid Hat, uh, bought his way out or bought, bought his company back. Right. Mm-hmm. It was his company. He sold it to uh, Asmodee, became part of the Asmodee group. And yeah, they made a lot of games together. Well, Colby decided uh, to buy it back from Asmodee and he has. And uh, so now Plaid Hat will be independent again, which is exciting. So with that split, Jerry Hawthorne, maker of Mice and Mystics, stays with Plaid Hat. Isaac Vega is going his own way. Uh, he's the designer of uh, Dead of Winter or and uh, Samurai Showdown. No, not Samurai Showdown. What am I saying? Starship Samurai? No. Yeah, Starship Samurai. Yeah. Asmodee will retain the publishing rights to Mice and Mystics, Stuffed Fables, Aftermath, and Battlelands, which are all going to be in the future published under the Z-Man brand. Hmm, weird. They also retain the publishing rights to Dead of Winter and Raxon. Yeah, whatever. Plot Hat's a good game company. They'll just bring new, new awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Jerry Hawthorne's had a heck of heck of a string of hits. Yeah, Mice and Mystics, Aftermath, 
There's a lot of good stuff there. Nice. All right. As long as everybody's happy, man. As long as it's amicable. It seems like Good it. on them. Good on them. All right. With that, it is time to focus back in time in our Year in the Life segment. This is where we talk about what we were talking about a year ago, 365 days ago, which was what? Forgot My Dice, episode 58, The Shaggy Bump. How appropriate, given the uh, recent uh, true game announcements. True that. Uh, we were talking about Ravnica as a D&D setting. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. How, how funny that it comes up again today. Yes, yes it does. Yes, it does. Uh, so I played, a, I played a very short-lived game in Ravnica, and it fell prey to the thing that all, a lot of my D&D games fell prey to, which is my own hubris, anxiety, whatever you call it. Uh, we played a couple games of it, and then it... The, the the neo-noir thing kind of got hard <laughs> and, and it sort of fizzled out mostly on my end. So uh, yes, I'm trying not to let that happen with my kingdom game and it is rough sometimes because I, I overthink things and I just need to roll with it and I'm finding my center and my Zen and not letting that happen. But yes, I have played it. I have taken it off the shelf. I have looked at it fairly recently, no less. Uh, so there you go. And I would still highly recommend Ravnica. It's a great setting. Do you have any thoughts? No, I would love to play Ravnica with you. There you go. You'd like to play with me, Jonathan? Um, so much that I'm flying out there to play with you live. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, also, uh, listening to that episode, there's a lot of cool stuff we talked about, such as National Cheese Doodle Day. Uh, the Umbrella Academy came up. Uh, you were showing your kids The Dark Knight. I remember reading or listening to this episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and we were supposed to talk about the third movie, but we never did. And uh, Orville, I've watched. Orville Hero Clicks and, and a whole bunch of fun stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was a good episode. Well, that was a year ago, which means it is now time for another quick break. And when we return for this break, it will be time for us to get in touch with our inner Ricardo Montalban as we deep dive Passion de las Pasiones. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive segment. This is where we dive deep into a single product and talk all about it. And tonight, on a very special episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, we put on our accents and it is time for Passion de las Pasiones. Passion. Okay, say that again. Passion de las Pasiones. Passion, passion de las passion. Passion. passion like S-Y-O. Passion. De las pasiones. De las pasiones. 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 Thank you, Jonathan. You're welcome. There's this going to be a long night. All right, Jonathan. So I usually do the NPR voice, but I don't think that It's, it's time for the telenovela voice. 
Yes. So go, my friend. Go. Pasión. Oh, good. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> Pasión de las pasiones is a game of passion, drama, secrets, delights, and heated conflict. In Pasión de las pasiones, you and your friends will play out the stories of greatest telenovela ever to air. A telenovela called, of course, Pasión de las pasiones. You won't be playing the actors, directors, or camera crew. Instead, you'll be playing a scheming and dangerous character, like El Gemelo. Or you'll be playing an innocent character, striving for love, like La Empleada. You'll play through stories with dramatic reveals, explosive confrontations, evil twins, and more. Pasión de las Pasiones is powered by the Apocalypse Engine, drawing on game techniques and mechanics from games like Apocalypse World, Monster Hearts, and Masks, a new generation. When your character takes an action that fits a move, the move tells you what happens in the story. Or you roll two six-sided dice to find out. The moves in Pasión provide their own system geared towards melodrama, excitement, and romance. <laughs> Is that good? So, that's good. That was good. I felt that. Ooh. Oh, it's sultry. Passion. <laughs> this is what you feel, my friend. So this game and the podcast actually have an oddly long history. Uh, Magpie Games, maker of Passion de las Passiones. Passion de las Passiones. Passion de las Passiones. Okay. I just can't say it like you. It's amazing. You just... Uh, it's oh, almost exactly. like I grew up with this language. I know. Magpie does these things called Ashcan editions, and what that means is they kind of release sort of a beta test of the rules uh, for five bucks on PDF, and sometimes they have it as like a con exclusive. And it's just kind of there to see if there's enough interest that they should make the real game. So this came out a while ago, like three, four years, and I bought it kind of on a lark because it seemed it was either going to be terrible or terribly awesome. Like just reading the premise, there was no either way it was either going to be amazing or, or just just insane and uh, luckily it turned out to be amazing so i i read this a long time ago I, I can't remember when i brought it up i could probably find it if i cared to look but uh it's too late for that now the Ashcan did well and we are on the kickstarter which the kickstarter is going on right now as we speak and i am a backer i believe i am backer 201 you have felt the passion i have felt the passion yeah it's so good so this is a game by Brandon Leon Gambetta, and uh, Gambetta. I've talked to him. Gam- ah, Gambetta. You must put the sexiness in. Gambetta. <laughs> Gambetta. I do not have a sexy bone in my body, sir. I'm terrible. That's not what your wife says. Hello! <laughs> Wait, Gina was talking about me with somebody else? All right. <laughs> It was a short conversation. Hell. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> anyway, so let's just talk, talk about why this is amazing. I, I don't even know where to begin with this. What do you want to start with? The, the system itself or, or what? what? I mean, we could just start with the, the, the amazing artwork. <laughs> I mean, I know it's all stock photos, but my God, nailed it. Yeah, yeah. So the Kickstarter is full of just these beautiful models looking at cameras in a sultry fashion in black and white. <laughs> it's, it's the only Kickstarter I've ever seen that smolders. Yeah. <laughs> you can put that on 
the Kickstarter page. <laughs> you can attribute that quote to me. Yeah, I think that's an episode title. The only Kickstarter that has ever smoldered. <laughs> Jonathan, you, you've 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 lived uh, you've lived in the correct countries. What is a telenovela? <laughs> Freaking amazing is what it is. If you've never seen one, take a moment, legitimately, and go watch one. They, they're they're basically soap operas except dialed up to eleven and a half. It's like a it's like a maximum yield soap opera with amazing twisted plot lines that bring everybody around to themselves and there's murders and, and action and lots of smoldering looks and, and the camera kind of hangs on people for a while. It's just amazing. Um, and yeah, they've kind of gotten a resurgence in America because I know Jane the Virgin is based off of a telenovela. Yeah, so is Ugly Betty. So is Ugly Betty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to watch either of those. Well, actually. whereas soap to. operas are dying in the United States, telenovelas are actually still on the rise. American soaps, they just kind of like go on forever. Whereas a, uh, a telenovela typically has a beginning, middle and end. Like they finish and they wrap like they. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they, they take a very British stance on storytelling. And the other thing is like they're, they're not just rising like they are absurdly popular. And they tend to run the gambit of Latin American countries, too. It's not like it's just popular in, in one country. They they tend to – this is one of the few things that actually crosses borders very well. Also, you, you are ahead of me on this curve. You have played an Apocalypse World system. so I have. You, you, you played Apocalypse World. So how does Apocalypse World work? Oh, God. Yeah, you, you should have had me prep this. It's been a minute. Okay. Well, okay. So I, I will help you out then. So, uh, yes, you roll 2d6. Yes. And do you remember what you're trying to roll? Well, it's 2d6 plus stat, if I recall correctly. Yeah, some of the games have stats, some of them don't. But yeah, generally, you're, you're, you roll 2d6. You're trying to roll above a 6, so 6 and below is bad, <laughs> is failure. Uh, typically, 7 to 9 is you succeed, but at like a cost. And uh, 10 or better is real, real good. Yeah. And, and that is it. Like, they have a, they have a D&D-inspired one called uh, uh, Dungeon World. And in Dungeon World, the way combat works is if you roll a six or less, you take a hit. If you roll a seven to nine, you do damage, but you also take damage. And 10 plus is you just do damage and don't take a hit at all. There's not a lot of dice rolling. It's much more narrative and you're supposed to describe what you do. Yeah, the, the Apocalypse World the, uh, game that I played in, it, the, the storytelling between the characters was the most important part. It was like ultra descriptive. Yeah, and you had things on your character sheets called moves, and the moves interacted with other people's stuff. Uh, I'm not sure how Apocalypse World that did it, although there is an automatic sex in that game from what I remember, because I, ha- I read it a long time ago. <laughs> there was a lot of sex in the game that I played. But uh, not, not all the games have that, although uh, Passion de... de <laughs> Passion. Passion de Passion de las Passiones. It should have lots of the sexy time. Yes, it should have lots of the sexy time. Because that is a, a core, core element of the storytelling. Although this game, there isn't a lot of like direct, there's, there's a lot of looks and then like panning over the fireplace, I guess, is kind of how this game handles it. Everybody has what they call playbook and a playbook has several things on it and it varies from game to game. Uh, some of them, the, the main one is uh, every playbook has moves that are unique to them. And moves are basically how you interact with the world. And it's this really broken down game system where everything your character can do narratively or, you know, like physically in the sense of like combat and stuff is just a move. And so everything that you can do in the game hinges around, you know, usually about a dozen to two dozen things in this game. uh, The nitty gritty are uh, the basic moves, which every character can do are act with desperation, 
express your love passionately, demand what you deserve, mislead, distract, or trick, accuse someone of lying to their face, <laughs> spot, something, <laughs> spot something out of place, strike out at someone with voice or violence, process your feelings out loud, which is important, and we'll get back to that, uh, flashback to preparations, reveal a shocking truth, or face certain death. Process your feelings out loud is one of the more unique mechanics of this. So, hey, Jonathan, so let's say we were playing um, with our wives this game, right? And you and my characters were having a scene and we were doing something, but a lot of the playbooks have moves that have us appeal to the audience, like the audience at home who are watching our telenovela. The way this game handles this is we would turn to our wives because while they're not in the scene, our wives take on the persona of the people actually watching our soap opera. <laughs> oh my god that's a, that's such a great mechanic <laughs> and so if we're having a scene where we have to appeal to the audience to do something we stop and we turn to them and they have to like root for one of us like like you know like they they're shouting at the the tv like no no d- choose him choose him or whatever see, whatever it, it is. And, and i say this having watched many of my family members screaming at televisions over time that is so accurate to telenovelas like the people that watch these get so into them that they are they're a part of the story themselves. That's one part of why this game's genius. Like it, it's such a simple idea to have the other players be the participatory audience. Like I'm shocked. No one's thought of that before. It's genius. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing I've ever, I like it makes so much sense. The playbooks in this game have the way you look, which there's just a list of things of how you look. And generally it's like, you know, are you non-binary, male, female, that type of thing is what they mean. Uh, Your relationships, which you typically choose two other characters. And it's typically, it's kind of like the alien RPG. There's one person you like and one person you don't like, or it's one person you're flirting with and the other person who you've broken up with. It's so it's based around your character, but there's something usually specific. They have this great list. If you look at the playbooks called last time on, and then there's this like list of random stuff. And it's when you come back and play new adventures, like a couple of episodes are supposed to have passed and so you cross something off on your list of like last time on passion passion of the passions uh you know you revealed or you 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 found out a a hidden secret and then you're supposed to narrate what you found in like one of the last episodes to progress the story it's it's kind of amazing and then if you cross everything off of your list that means it's time for the series finale because everything's done (laughs) it's it's such a I mean, like, as far as theme goes, you, you couldn't ask for a more thematic set of, of gameplay mechanics. It's, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Instead of hit points, this game has four conditions. And whenever you take damage, be it with the voice or violence or whatever, you take one of these. They typically give you a plus one to a skill and a minus one to a skill. And if you lose all of them, that'll be the next mechanic we talk about. The four conditions are raging, lustful, righteous, and dogged. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. When you have all four of those conditions uh, checked off, your character has a meltdown. And this is the part in the soap opera or the dramatic show where they just become like a sobbing wreck and reveal things that they don't want to reveal like out loud, because of course you would. And everybody, every playbook has its own way that they melt down. And it's very, very described to you, but it's, it usually has some sort of thing where you have to make a choice of something you reveal. And let me find one of these for, uh, looking at the playbooks. Are there any of the playbooks you like? Uh, we'll go over all of them in a sec, but we go back to them. Hold on. Oh, the, I love the evil twin. Oh yeah. The (laughs) evil twins freaking brilliant. Uh, I like la empleada searching and inquisitive. You find your path in the brambles. So her meltdown 
And you could be a boy or a girl for any of these, but uh, it, the basic character is a female, I guess. All of this deception and plotting is simply too much for your pure heart. You seek solace in the arms of the closest sympathetic person. You spill your guts to them about all of your feelings. Maybe you fall into the arms of an old love. Maybe you go back to someone who's burned you before. Tomorrow you'll have to face the consequences, but tonight you take comfort where you can find it. And tell me, Robert, about <laughs> El Caballero. <laughs> Oh, you want to hear that one too? Okay. Yes. Meltdown. There's a line between justice and vengeance. Sometimes. That's done now. You go directly to the object of your enmity and bring them to that justice. You throw their sins in their face and met out punishment. Maybe you lock them up in jail or a cellar. Maybe you finish things once and for all. I like the concept of just tossing sins in someone's face. (laughs) Tomorrow they'll know you've always been a brute, but tonight they'll know you and know truth. Oh. And, that, and that's what happens to you when you lose all your hit points. You're not out of the game. Your character just does something colossally kind of stupid. But it's great. It's very thematic for the storytelling, which is amazing. So, Jonathan, let's go over the six playbooks that are going to come in the basic book. La Doña, secretive and canny, you pull the strings that move the world. Do them all, man. I love hearing this. <laughs> La Belleza. Graceful and unattainable, you set hearts ablaze with need. (laughs) El Caballero, steadfast and principled, you right the wrongs of your past. La Empleada, searching and inquisitive, you find your path in the rambles. El Gemelo. This is the best. This is the best one. Duplicitous and hidden, you find scraps of another's glory. Basically, you're the evil twin, and it's amazing. <laughs> El jefe. Dangerous and controlling, you hold together your power. And there's going to be a few more classes unlocked with digital stretch goals. And, Which yes. is amazing. That makes me so happy. Yes. And uh, the last part of this is you get a play set. And this is basically a framework which to hang your game around. The first one is La Rosa Querida. La Rosa Carilla. Querida. Carida. And that is basically about a hotel slash resort. And, you know, you play the guests and staff that are having, you know, their stories around this resort. Um, play sets usually come with uh, a handful of NPCs that the GM can play. Like this one lists like the head cook and, you know, just stuff like that. And it has a couple of like typically extra moves that you can do that are just hinged around the theme. And some of the digital stretch goals they are releasing are amazing. So they've unlocked two stretch goals along these lines. One of them is basically totally not the X-Men where you're playing at the X Academy. (laughs) But, oh, man, would that be a great telenovela? Like the X-Men Academy? (laughs) Actually, it really would. Because (laughs) when you really stop and think about the X-Men comics, especially when it comes to Scott and Logan and Gene. Yeah, it's a telenovela. Yeah. Um, and then they also have totally not the West Wing. Also a telenovela. <laughs> um, also, the best part of these uh, frameworks is they come with like music and, <laughs> and both like instrumental and music with words that uh, totally are appropriate for that setting. And it's a great list. And I love stuff like that because you don't need it, but you so need it. And that's basically it. It's a role playing game, but it's it's very... It's immersive in every way, shape, and form, and it really captures the uh, the original subject matter quite nicely. 
And, and I don't know why I love it as much as I do, but I do. I, I love just it to- too. It really makes me happy. <laughs> And I'm so happy I'm going to get this in person. And I so desperately want to play it. And I'm probably going to have to get at least a couple of new people in my group to play it. Because I don't know if it'd play very well. I on feel the like this is what we need to play when I come out. I don't know if I'll have it. I mean, I can do the quick start. We yeah, have we the can quick always start. do the quick start. But I think yeah. we should record it too. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who we, we'd have to get at least two other people. I don't know. Part of me wants to just assume the role of the narrator and just be the narrator. <laughs> that's right that's right jane the virgin had a narrator yes and it yeah. totally works a lot of telenovelas have a narrator <laughs> he looked at her disgust in his eyes <laughs> it's amazing it's a great rpg i know it doesn't seem up my alley i i have not watched a telenovela no but it's so good it's so good it's so good it's so brilliant so i think i think how about this i think we're at the point where i, I got to say my one last thing about the game we have talked you and i jonathan in the past about gatekeeping about people who say x and y aren't real gamers and they shouldn't have a place at the table and yada 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 and to that i say fork off like this game is why people should come to the table because to that, I, I look at you with a disgusting feeling in my soul, and I bore upon you with the center of my laser beam eyes. Really? Yes. Okay. I've never watched a telenovela. I have never really thought about them critically in the way that they play storytelling devices. But you know what? When you bring more people to the table and they bring this uh, things from their experience... It makes the whole tapestry all that much richer. And I don't know if I'll ever play this, but I got ideas. I got ideas to like reskin it and use it for other stuff too. Well, and, and more importantly, it's kind of along the lines of what you were saying. Not only does it bring new people in, but I mean, this is such a ridiculous notion that people can have a different kind of fun with. Right. Right. It, it's it's not a traditional fun as you and I would know it from looking at my wall of RPG books, but it doesn't make it any less valid fun. In fact, Having grown up in a, a, a culture that, that celebrates telenovelas, I can tell you right now that this is, a, this is the game that I could probably get my mom to play. This brings a different kind of fun that everybody can enjoy, and it just shows you how flexible the art form is. Even if this isn't your jam, like you've never seen a telenovela. Try it. Oh, well, you're try have so it. much fun. But, but like culturally, everybody's got something that they can, you could at least riff on this to make your own like thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. like K-drama, K-drama is a thing. And K drama, like so, it, it's there's so not weird. an American in in this country that doesn't understand nine hundred two one zero or Melrose Place or Saved by the Bell or any of the iterations thereof. You know, like those. Th- that is the American. Well, isn't it bizarre how like culturally persuade pervasive like the idea of a soap is? Because like K dramas, there's American soaps, there's telenovelas, like. Like the art form has like pierced every culture on the yeah, planet. It people, seems people thrive on drama. They love watching drama and this Bollywood is, movies. Oh, yeah. Bollywood movies are all this. Yeah, this is this is everything that is right with storytelling <laughs> wrapped up in a beautiful package with smolder on top. <laughs> this this is the rich Corinthian leather of RPGs. <laughs> I don't and know. I love it on the box as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know i just love this rpg and the brandon the guy who who, who wrote it he's a really nice guy I follow him on twitter he has a youtube channel where he posts uh a, a lot of powered by the apocalypse related uh stuff kind of like matt coville 
And it's just it's just great. He's a nice guy, and this game's great, and it totally deserves everything and more. And I just had to talk about it because people should play this game. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, agreed. The engine is super easy to, to grasp, and what they've done with it from a theme perspective is super easy to grasp. And frankly, it's just stupid fun. It's good fun. Go try it. Yeah. I don't know. Enough said. All right. I love it. I'm, I'm going to get a hardback. I really do feel like we need to play this when I'm out there. <laughs> I'm not joking even remotely about that. <laughs> so this game's on Kickstarter now. It should have about a week or so left as of the release of this episode. Go check it out. It looks amazing. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another smoldering episode of Forgot My Dice podcast. Number 82 in the can. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains where we'd love to hear from you and interact with you. And as always, Robert, that brings us to your final thoughts. Smolder away, my friend. What does it mean on your character sheet that it says you have smoldering glance? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It was at that moment that Robert tapped into his smoldering glance and lit the room aflame (laughs) with his passion. On the next episode of Passion de las Pasiones. I guess we'll be reviewing uh, Flame Rogue. Flame Rouge? Yes, that one. (laughs) (laughs) Your pronunciations are killing me, man. (laughs) Well, (laughs) on that note, it is time, of course, for us to bid you adieu. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. Smolder on, Roberto. I'm I'm looking at the microphone very intensely. (laughs) I don't know if it's coming through. (laughs) We've got you swarming this office all of a sudden. (laughs) That doesn't mean much. It's Texas. Yeah, it's (laughs) different. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 